Hey, turn your Bibles with me. The book of James, James chapter 4, verse 11. Let me say thank you from the bottom of my heart to those of you that are supporting our new building, our new beginnings. They tell us we're going to be in there either end of October or early November. So we're really excited about that. And uh, I sure hope you're going to join us today. Uh, I'm going to be going. My wife, uh, I think they've got chocolate cupcakes, and I deferred last night, so I'm looking forward to mine today. But uh, going to afterwards, listen, it will inspire you when you go. So as soon as you leave church, before you run to eat, just just stop by there a second. Um, I'm still committed to the, the whole three years. I, I, I check the box on my top card. I'm giving every week. I give once a quarter. And uh, anything you can do to help us, you take this card. And if you don't have one, pick one up in the lobby. And, and uh, it'll, it'll make a difference not only here but around the world. How many know we're about oh, less than 60 days away from an election? And I don't know about you, but I'm tired of hearing about it already. <laughs> I, I made a donation to a candidate, and I get, I bet you, 10 texts a day and emails Asking for more money, you know, wanting to, you know, help us do more, help us, uh, help us, help us. Well, listen, it's a, it's a, it's going to be a pivotal, a pivotal election, and uh, everybody has opinions. Um, I see part of my responsibility is to teach from the Bible about current issues. Let me know when we've politicized things like abortion. Let me know abortion is not a political issue; it's a moral issue, it's a biblical issue. And uh, before the election, I'll teach on these things so you can make a better decision. But here's what I know. If you're not registered, you can't vote. It's just a fact. You can show up on election day and they'll say, I'm sorry, your name's not here. But uh, we can help with that. We have a registrar in the lobby after service today for Arkansas and Texas. So let me encourage you to stop by there and uh, and, uh, uh, do your civic duty. Well, listen, we're we're uh, continuing the series, part seven. A word to the wise, wisdom from, for everyday life from the book of James. And my thesis is simply this, that if you will make your decisions in life according to biblical principles, you'll be happier and life will be better. How many can say, I try to do that and it works, Pastor? Sure, it absolutely does. Well, the last couple messages, you remember we talked about relational conflict. We talked about the power, what, what envy and selfish ambition coveting and worldliness, how it can make people not get along with one another, how it can undermine uh, our unity even in the church. And James gave us a solution. He didn't just say, try harder to get along. He didn't just say, make a New Year's resolution. He didn't say, go to an anger management class, though that helps many people. What James said was, first, turn to God. In other words, if you will get closer to God, If God will become more real in a greater part of your life, you'll find that the conflicts with people will grow less and less. So that was last week. Well, today we're going to talk about slander and judging. And uh, uh, that's a hot topic in today's world today. Let me know if you disagree with anyone or express any concern about their behavior or their words. What do they say? You're judging me. Well, we're going to explore that a little bit today, and then I think my favorite part is about the brevity of life. And uh, anyway, so let's jump in today. Chapter 4, verse 11, we'll begin with this part about slander and judging. And I want you to notice that he's talking to Christians. He says, verse 11, brothers and sisters, this is our family, the family of God, don't slander one another. This word, one translation says, don't speak evil of one another or don't tell lies about one another. 
Because the one who speaks against a brother or judges his brother, now that's going to be the hot topic word today, judges your brother. And what I'm going to try to do is the Bible says two things that seem very different. For example, Jesus himself said, don't judge. Yeah, lest you be judged. But then he also said, judge righteous judgment. So what we're going to see is the big difference is, is the Bible calls us, it encourages us to make assessments, to make evaluations of behavior and, and, and words that people say, to, to make, a, make a discerning decision about what you see going on. But what he forbids is the condemnation, self-righteous condemnation. He forbids us you know, judging people when we do the same thing. So we're going to try to flesh this out. But anyway, James says, if you speak against a brother or judge your brother, you speak evil against the law. This is the Bible or the Old Testament, and you judge the law. In other words, you put yourself above God's Word and God Himself. Because when you judge the law, you're no longer a follower of the law, but you've become a judge. And the picture here is the judge that sits on the, you know, the elevated platform, gavel in hand, determining guilt, right and wrong, and passing, uh, uh, passing a sentence. Now, slander, or this speaking evil of people, uh, this is not the first time James has talked about the words that we say. If I could review just a minute, chapter 1, verse 26, James said, people who think they're religious, but... See, there you go. Say things they shouldn't. When I do this, that means I want you to say what's on the screen coming next. People who think they're religious but say things they shouldn't say are just fooling themselves. Their religion is worth nothing. Isn't that interesting? Jesus said, what our words do, let me know our words come from our heart. Jesus said, out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaks. And that's where the problem is. It's in our heart. But he didn't stop there. Look at verse six, chapter 3, 6. Jesus said, the tongue is like a fire. If you're following the wildfires in, on the West Coast, thank God we don't live there. They said 500,000 people from Oregon are displaced from their homes because of fires. Somebody had a gender reveal, shot off some fireworks, and before you know it, thousands of acres are on fire. Well, I want you to think about that your tongue has the same power to set relationships on fire. If you don't believe me, next time your wife asks if she's pretty, just tell her she's getting uglier every day. Now, I don't consider myself a prophet, but I can tell you what's going to happen after that. It is not going to be pleasant. Come on now. It's a whole world of evil among the parts of our bodies. The tongue is set on fire by hell. That's a scary thought. Now, that doesn't mean the devil is controlling your tongue like the exorcist, okay? That doesn't mean that, that you are possessed, but what it means, there's evil in your heart, and it's coming out of your mouth. Uh, it influences all of life. It's wild. It's evil. It's full of deadly poison. With our tongue, we praise the Lord, yet we curse people. That may can say my tongue gets me in trouble sometimes. Sure it does, all of us. Well, here he follows up with when he talks about slander, a particular sin of the tongue. Let me give you some broader definition. To slander someone is to talk bad about them. It's to speak against others behind their back when they're not there to defend themselves. Uh, it's to shoot people with words. It's to harm them by whispering. 
It's to say cruel things about people. How many know our words have power? I caught myself the other day. I was guilty of this. Uh, Steve, help me out here. I've lost my little deal. See if you can find it. Uh, I caught myself not too long ago, and I was having a conversation about a pastor that was somewhat well-known, and uh, he'd done some things that he probably shouldn't have done. And in my conversation, I just started to talk about those things. But in the middle of my sentence, I caught myself and said, I'm not going to speak evil of him. We're not talking about him to make any kind of decision. Uh, uh, you know, we're not talking about him to pray for him. And here's what I said. I said, God bless everybody. Now, that's my kind of default that I use. You know, when, when, when I find myself, you know, getting in this judgmental mode, uh, that just helps me. It kind of breaks it in me because, let me know, we've all sinned and we all need God's forgiveness and we all need God's mercy. And uh, uh, anyway, that's kind of where I caught myself. But this is a tricky thing, this idea of judging people. I'm going to show you today that the Bible will teach us that we're called to make judgments, but we're not called to create problems and we're not called to stir the pot we're not called to to uh, uh, to stand in the place of judgment because when I stand in the place of judgment and condemn a person I'm violating God's law you know the scripture says that the royal law the law of scripture is to love your neighbor as yourself and this strikes against the spirit of, of judging we when we judge people when we sit in the judge's throne and speak down at them, how many know really what we are doing in life is uh, we're taking the place of God. And if I could maybe illustrate this for you just a little bit, I, I, I was, one of my little Facebook sites that I'm on, there was a picture of somebody that was, uh, well, they were a child molester. And how many know that's wrong? How many know there should be consequences and our society should be protected? But as I read some comments, uh, it reminded me of the spirit of judgment. One person said, well, another pervert. Uh, life in prison, pervert. Hope he doesn't survive to see daylight again. And he's just a piece of, you fill in the blank there, you can catch that one. I don't know. That just kind of felt to me like that. We want to get a little closer to home when, on this one. Let's say uh, someone starts coming to church and they're not married and they're pregnant. A couple of things you can do. You can totally ignore them. Uh, you can tell them how bad they are. Or you can love them. And I suggest to you, uh, it, it, they come in the church, they probably know they've made a mistake. Because how many know the Bible uh, basically says child rearing is supposed to be done by mom and dad in a married relationship. But before you judge somebody... I wonder if you had sex before you were married or with someone after you were married. But yet at the same time, here's this little girl sitting there, or perhaps she's a little girl, whoever she may be. And it's an awkward situation because we're torn. We want to stand up for what's right. We want to, you know, provide an example or a standard. We don't want to just justify wrong, but we also don't want to throw rocks. Are you with me today? This is, this is what we're talking about. And, and it's not only mentioned in James. Romans 2.1 says, you have no excuse. Oh man, every one of you who judges, because when you pass judgment on another, you... 
Now again, he's not talking about evaluating behavior, evaluating words as it compares to the scripture in terms of right and wrong and how we should respond. He's talking about the condemning. When I condemn you, uh, I'm condemning myself because you, the judge, practice the same things. That's a scary one. Jesus talked about it. Matthew chapter 7. Jesus said, don't judge others or... Yeah, and here's the scary one. You're going to be judged in the same way you judge other people. That's one thing I've learned as I've grown older is that... uh, I'm not quite as perfect as I used to think I was. That I do things, I think things, I say things that I know better, but I do them anyway. And it should make us humble ourselves a bit. Often what we do is we kind of categorize sin. And your sin is really bad and should be condemned and judged, but my sin is not quite as bad. God understands, actually, and he has special dispensation for my sin, therefore I'm forgiven. You you with me today? Jesus probably illustrated this best one I could find in Scripture. Uh, John 8, verse 3, the Pharisees, they're the religious people, they bring a woman who'd been caught in the act of adultery, They put her in front of the crowd and they said, Teacher, this woman was caught in the act of adultery. Now listen to this. The law of Moses says to stone her. But what do you say? Well, Moses did say that. Of course, we're kind of wondering, where's the fella? Because I mean, no, it takes two to, you know, takes two. No fella there. They've got this woman and you can just feel this sense of, condemnation these Pharisees have probably even brought the rocks well if you keep reading there you see Jesus just kneels down and he starts writing in the sand he starts making you know pictures and then Jesus said uh, he stood up again and said all right let the one who has never sinned throw the first stone and then he kneels down and starts writing again Now, this is simply speculation, but some have speculated that perhaps Jesus was writing their sins in the sand. And that when they looked and saw that they're guilty, just like she's guilty, they turned and walked away. And Jesus did this incredible thing. Jesus said, where are those who condemn you? And she says, no one, Lord. And then Jesus said, I don't condemn you. Now go and sin no more. And that probably illustrates best this judgmental spirit that is in our land. Uh, verse 12, let's kind of wrap it up here. Jesus said, or James said, there's only one lawgiver and judge. Who's that? Is God. Uh, the one who's able to save and destroy. And then he's going to shame them a little bit. He says, who are you to judge your neighbor? It's like, who do you think you are? Another translation says, what right do you have to judge your neighbor or condemn a fellow Christian? Now, What we're doing is we're overstepping God's authority because God is the ultimate judge. Now let me try to kind of give you a little balance now or a little perspective because this sense of judgment goes along a continuum. One side of it we're supposed to judge and the other side we're not. Let's try to understand it. John 7, 24, Jesus is speaking and once again, the Pharisees, they would often have questions. They would have questions about, can I pull, the, you know, uh, if a man falls in a ditch on the Sabbath day, can I pull him out? Uh, here they ask the question about circumcising on the Sabbath day. But notice what Jesus said, John seven twenty four. Jesus said, don't judge by appearances, but 
Judge is an imperative in our English language. It's an imperative. You judge. You judge with right judgment. That is, you make an, uh, according to what's right, make an honest judgment. I'm going to explain this, but let me read some more scriptures to you in, in the Bible that encourages us. And when I'm saying judging now, I mean evaluating behavior, evaluating actions, evaluating words, not with the com, uh, self-righteous condemnation or the condi, condens, not condensation, condescension, but, but, but it's different. Leviticus 19.15 Scripture says, you shall do no injustice in court. You shall not be partial to the poor, defer to the great, but in righteousness you shall what? In righteousness you shall judge your neighbor. This, is, this allows us to make right decisions. Matthew 7, Jesus said, beware of false prophets who come in sheep's clothing, but inwardly they're ravenous wolves. You will what? Recognize them or judge them. By their fruit. So it's not sinful and wrong to make a determination based on someone's behavior, whether what they're doing is right or wrong as compared to God's word. Where it gets tricky, though, is when we bring in this self-righteous condemnation. Zechariah 7, 9 makes it abundantly clear. Render true judgments. Uh, 1 Corinthians says, I say this to shame you. Is it possible there's nobody among you wise enough to judge a dispute among believers? Well, what does that mean? Well, let's just say, for example, uh, two believers, their neighbors, and one, neighbor, one of them says, uh, hey, I want to borrow your chainsaw. I had a tree fall down. And uh, the guy said, sure, take it. Well, he gets that chainsaw, he takes it home, and he, he's cutting a little bit, and the tree that he's cutting in has a big nail in it. And how many know nails and chainsaws don't work together good? Or maybe there's a big big rock in his yard, and he's cutting the limb. Have you ever had a chainsaw go in the ground, and all of a sudden it won't cut anymore because it hit the rocks? Well, he takes it back home, and he puts it in his neighbor's garage and doesn't say anything. And about a week later, he gets ready to cut his own firewood, and you couldn't cut butter with that saw. And he goes back to his neighbor and he says, hey, man, what did you do to my saw? Oh, I didn't do anything, man. I just did. When I got it, it wasn't working. Well, rather than, you know, going to the county judge, uh, he brings it to a believer. He brings it to an elder. That's what the Bible said <laughs> believers are supposed to do. Well, when you make a judgment like that, you know, maybe the elder would say, look, now, honest question before the Lord here. Uh, when you used his saw, did, did you saw hit a nail in the tree, a rock or anything? Well, yeah, it did. Well, we make a, dis a judgment. We make a discernment. That's not wrong. It's when we get up here and we want judgment for you but mercy for me. Here's the big sentence that summarizes it. What is forbidden is self-righteous condemnation and applying a standard to other people that we don't apply to ourselves. And that's exactly what the Pharisees did. You remember Jesus healed a man on the Sabbath? And then they said, they said, listen, uh, uh, and they got upset about it. But Jesus said, look, guys, your donkey falls in the ditch on the Sabbath. You're going to pull him out. So this is, that, that's all I know to tell you about judge not. <laughs> Let's keep going. The brevity of life. Now, this is probably my favorite part of the message. Verse 13. Now, listen. Now, he's going to shift gears here. New subject. And he's talking to Christian business people. And he's talking to them about making their plans apart from God. 
Listen to what he says. He says, listen now, today you who say today or tomorrow we're going to go to this or that city, we're going to spend a year there, carry on business and make some money. In other words, it's just like, let's say uh, you go to your buddy and say, man, you never guess what I, what I got. Chick-fil-A finally gave me a, tra- a franchise license. I have found a place in North Little Rock. There's a big, big new booming community up there. I got a piece of land. I got the architect's plans. I'm telling you, buddy, that place will be open in six months, and baby, we're going to make some money. Come on now. <laughs> Is it wrong to buy a Chick-fil-A franchise? I wish I had one. Boy, <laughs> you look at that place on Richmond Road, and they're rocking all the time. Can you imagine you circle the building three times just to get a piece of chicken? Well, I get a salad on Saturday night, actually. Uh, but this is what James says. You don't even know what's going to happen tomorrow. And this is the biggest question of the message. And if you've turned me out, turn me back in or on. Your life is like a mist that appears a little while and then vanishes. I'm going to illustrate this with some matches. I mean, when you light a match, it doesn't last forever. This is what James is saying life is like. You can imagine that sulfur smell when you light it, a little smoke in the air, and in just a matter of seconds, it's gone. But imagine if, maybe, God forbid, but you die young, 5, 10, 15, accident at 20, drug overdose. Just like that life is over. Well, you make it through the crazy years, and you take in, you live 20 years, and you're 40, and you're like me, you're 60. But then when you hit 80, maybe 90, maybe 100, at some point, it's a puff. This is what James is saying. We act like we're going to live forever, but nobody can control tomorrow. The issue is presumption. This word means to act with arrogant pride as if we're in control of our future. And this is the delusion. We falsely believe that we have control of our destiny, but James says you can't even control tomorrow. I saw something in the newspaper, I think it was Wednesday, that saddened me deeply. There was an accident in town on state line. It was a motorcycle accident. This guy on state line, it's a motorcycle. The guy was killed. I grieved for his family. I prayed for him. I didn't know them. But I guarantee you, when he got up that morning, he didn't say, I'm fixing to get on my bike and I'm going to go die, buddy. No. He got up and he was going to work or he was going to eat or he was going to shop. And he had no idea what was going to happen that he was going to hit a car on state line. If he'd have known that, he'd have stayed home. See, And I'm not trying to scare you, but I'm just trying to say, wake up to the way life really is. If you were young, if you're a teenager, if you're in your 20s, your 30s, your 40s, it's just like life goes on forever. How many know if you have health and wealth, you can live like you don't need God? I didn't say you don't need Him, but you can live like you don't need Him. I think even one of the benefits of aging and growing old is we realize our need for God. We get aches and pains. We can't do as much in yard work as we used to do. Doctor tells us we have limited time to live. 
These are all warnings not to scare us, but make us realize we need God. Um, Verse 15, and this is the practical part. He says, instead of just kind of bragging about what you're going to do, he says, say this, if it's the Lord's will. I, I can shorten it for you, Lord willing. How about if we said this, you're talking to your buddy, and you said, man, you'll never guess what I got. I got, I got my Chick-fil-A franchise, and Lord willing, I'm going up to Little Rock. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to build a place, and, and, and hopefully we're going to make us some money. But it's just that pause that makes us realize that God's in control and we're not. It's humility. See, the key to avoid presumption and boasting about the future is this godly perspective. We need God. We recognize the the scripture I've been trying to teach you, I think virtually every week now, because James has mentioned humility a number of times. It says, in Christ we live, move, and have our being, or we exist. Everything about my life is Jesus. Colossians says Jesus holds it all together. Jesus is responsible for the oxygen in the air, the cycles of rainfall and sunshine and all that goes on. I'll tell you something I've been trying to do to humble myself. That's a hard concept to grasp. But humility by definition simply means bring yourself low. And what I've been doing about the last nine, ten days or so is when I get up in the morning, the first thing I try to do is I get on my knees by my bed and I say, Lord, I've got my day planned out now. I say, Lord, I'm going to need you to protect me today. I'm going to need you to feed me and care for me and my family. Lord, I'm going to need you to give me wisdom for decisions because I can't do this by myself. I don't want to do it by myself. I need your help. I get up, I go about my day. I get back home at night. I'm in bed. And the other day I was almost asleep and I thought, forgot. Get out of bed. Lord, thank you that you protected me today. You provided for me today. Last night I said, thank you that our church service went well last night. See, all these things. Thank you, Lord, that our remodeling at Gander is going so well. All these things puts God in the middle. All these things make us recognize that Jesus is the center of everything. Come on, give him a big hand right now. He's worthy of our praise. See, we don't, we don't want to confess. Uh, instead of these people in James, instead of confessing their dependence on God's will, they were arrogantly bragging. They, were, they lived under the illusion that they were self-made and in charge. And one of the great things God can show us is we're not in charge. He is. You know, Christians plan for the future differently. And I would encourage you to let that be a part of your daily speaking, if the Lord wills. I I, I had this brought home so clearly to me a number of years ago. I don't know, maybe it was 10, 12 years ago. I I was on a a board, a board member of a charity in town, Samaritan Charities. And uh, the president was a podiatrist. He was a friend of mine. He He was a foot doctor. And uh, we called each other frequently. We became buddies. And I couldn't go to the, one of the meetings. And uh, I called him. He wasn't there. I left a note on his answer machine. That was the day before voicemail on cell phones. But on his answer machine, I said, Doc, I, I can't be there this week, but I'll see you next week, Lord willing. 
I hung up, didn't think anything about it. Next week rolled around, I got a call from his wife, I believe. And she said, I need to let you know that your friend died. And I listened this week to your message that you left him. You said, I'll see you next week, Lord willing. And she said, I guess the Lord wasn't willing to keep him on earth anymore. God was ready for him to go to heaven. And it left an indelible imprint on my soul that life is precious and it's a gift of God and I'm not the one that controls it. He does. But aren't you glad that God is in control? Aren't you glad that we're not having to take care of every little detail for our lives but our lives as a Christian are hidden in God in Christ. Come on, give him another big hand today. I'm, I'm going to wrap up a little early with the scripture as Pastor Zach comes. Uh, I want to encourage you, make sure that if you hadn't registered to vote, do that. Table is right in the lobby. Won't take you but a moment or two. And I hope you'll make your way to Gander with me. Linnell and I will be out there. Don't eat the last cupcake if I hadn't got there. But, uh, uh, and I'm going to put my little card over here because I'm committed, in a, uh, uh, I'm, I'm committed to our new beginnings. We have four exits when you leave. Uh, I want to encourage you, when you leave, wear your mask, social distance when people are there. If you have your offering, there'll be ushers' buckets at the front and the back. And if you're a visitor, stop by that little table in the lobby and they've got a little gift for you there. But let me close with one last scripture and then we're going to have a, a closing prayer and a song. And, I, I, and my conclusion is basically this. That based on the brevity of life, we should prioritize our life around what's eternal. And let me read a scripture to you. It's, it, it, because I want us to live with eternity in mind. 2 Corinthians chapter 4, Paul said, We fix our eyes not on what is seen, but what is unseen. What does that mean? Don't just fix the gaze and the intent and the total focus on your car, your truck, you know, your duck hunting, uh, your house, your clothes, the sale at Dillard's. Well, we missed that, I guess, already. But whatever it is, don't just set your eyes focused on these things. Why? Because what is seen is temporary, but what is unseen is eternal. And eternity, friends, is forever. Why don't you stand to your feet and, and, and I want us to have a prayer today. I want our prayer team to come to the front as well. I think some of them may be already out at Gander. We, we, we are, we, we've had three of these. But any of our prayer team, if you're still here, I want you to come up to the front. And we're going to have a closing song. And after that song, you'll dismiss. But if you want someone to pray for you personally... If you've got some things in your life you need God to help you with, I'm going to encourage you, just as everybody else is leaving, you just sit down. And these prayer team members, they'll come find you. They'll, they'll, they'll come to you and they'll pray for you. But I want you to just bow your head with me just a minute. And I want to ask you this question. What was the Holy Spirit talking to you about today? Was there something that God put his finger on? We were talking about judging people and slander, speaking evil of people. Maybe the Holy Spirit convicted you because you're better than you were, but your tongue's got a lot of negative in it.
And sometimes it has a little self-righteousness. But you want to ask God to forgive you and, and help you get control of your tongue so that your words build up and not tear down. If that's you, I want you to just slip your hand up to tell the Lord. Nobody's business. Just slip your hand up and say, I've got problems with my tongue, Pastor. And I want God to forgive me. And I want God, that's it. It's just you and God. I want God to help me. I don't want to be someone that judges. I don't want to speak evil. How about this last part, the brevity of life? Maybe you were convicted today because you rarely say if God's will. There's a little bit of presumptuous pride in there. And today God reminded you that you need to live each day with eternity in mind. You need a little more humility. You don't want to trust in yourself, but you want to trust in God for your future. And if that's you, you want God to help you with that, just slip your hand to heaven. Say, Lord, help me live with eternity in mind. Help us all, Holy Spirit. All of us want to do be better people. All of us, Lord, want strong relationships. All of us, Lord, want to live each day close to you. And we sure ask you to help us in Jesus' name. I want to close. Before we have our last song, I want to make an appeal for a very special prayer. Maybe you're here today, and as we were talking about the brevity of life and that motorcycle picture, that puff of smoke, if I were to ask you the question, if you were to die today, are you 100% sure you'd go to heaven? Now that's a powerful question. Because it asks basically this. Have you trusted Christ for salvation? Is Jesus your Lord and Savior? Do you have a hope and a confidence and assurance that God has forgiven you? and That you are God's child and you're following Him? Oh, and I'm going to tell you, friends, there's a difference of going to church when you're little like I did making a decision to follow Jesus like I did when I was 19. You see, becoming a Christian is kind of like moving what you know about God from your head into your heart. Moving what you know about Jesus from being the baby that born in a manger, died on the cross, and then it literally changing your life. It's like if the cross represents God, we're born this way, walking our own direction, doing our own thing. But in wonderful times of life, like now, there's a call to turn your life to the Christ of the cross. To ask for his forgiveness and follow him as your Lord and Savior. And maybe that's what you need today to get right with God. If that's you, I'm going to encourage you either during this song or after the song is over. I want you to come up and talk to Pastor Travis. He's one of our executive pastors. And he'd like to talk to you about getting right with God. He'd like to talk to you about how to find God's forgiveness He'd like to talk to you about how to start a brand new relationship with Jesus Christ. You come, and I promise you, it'll be life-changing. Go ahead and begin to sing, Pastor Zach. I love you. Thanks for coming, and Lord willing, we'll see you again. There's no place, there's no place I'd rather be. There's no place I'd rather be. There's no place I'd rather be.
people are headed over to our new church home, so make sure you go check that out. Uh, all the exits are open, so feel free to be dismissed at any time. And uh, we just pray that you'd have an awesome day.